On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the test of double-mindedness in this series we titled, These Seven Tests Will Strengthen Your Faith on Soul Zero Two. Welcome to Soul Zero Two. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. So happy to be with you today. And today I want to talk to you about uh, double-mindedness and and how uh, these, I'll just, you know, share the title with you again, but the test of double-mindedness or, or the double-mindedness test on, on this series, seven-part series on things that will strengthen your faith. And seven things were specific to um, Abraham and um and we know that Abraham uh, was the father of faith. So who better to be tested than the father of faith? So I want to share with you today that uh, a scripture in the book of James that says, for, for the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every way must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And it almost sounds like a, just a mean verse, doesn't it? But it's not. God is so faithful to us. And he wants he wants us to partake with him on getting things done. So as the old saying goes, that God doesn't do anything unless it passes through your faith. It doesn't mean that he's not sovereign. It doesn't mean that he doesn't get anything done. But he wants to partner with humanity to get things done. And so uh, the term double-minded, and this is one definition. I'll give you another one later. It's the term that it comes from a Greek word that means a person of two minds or two souls. And this word appears only in the book of James. And, and that's why I read James, because it's a unique scripture. And it also means wavering in your mind or undecided or vacillating. And so today I just want to give you seven seven marks of double-mindedness. And we see this a lot in the life of Abraham. And again, even the father of faith struggled with these things. And uh, so after these things, it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram. And the reason why it says Abram is because that was his name before God renamed him. In a vision, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. So, so the first sign of double-mindedness here, the, the first mark of it, is simply this. It's demanding proof in the face of the promise. And God was trying to promise something, and he was saying, well, that's fine, but, you know, it's not paying my bills. It, you know, it, what street value does it have to me kind of thing? And this is why he said, what will you give me for I continue childless? Uh, and covenants were marked with giving and exchanging things with each other. But also another thing that marks and, I, and I'm, I'm going to fly through these, but another thing that, that marks double-mindedness, and especially in the life of Abraham, is having a plan B in the face of a promise. Abraham attempted to manufacture the promise in his own strength. And Abraham, and, and I, I use his later name, but Abraham and Sarah, his wife, reasoned that, uh, well, maybe we can create our own promise. Maybe we can make our own fate. And Genesis 16, 1 through 3 says, Now Sarai, that, that was her name before she was renamed to Sarah by God, Abraham's wife bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I may obtain an heir by her. And Abraham, Abraham listened in the voice of, uh, to the voice of Sarai. So 
this shows that that they had a plan B, but I would go further to say that they even had a plan C, or Abraham did at least, when his nephew Lot and Eleazar, um, those were plan C. And plan C is, you know, if, if, if something happens where I don't get an heir, then maybe Lot, my nephew, can take it. If that doesn't work out, then maybe Eleazar can take it. And he said it in, in Genesis 15 too, I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. So he was assuming that this would be his heir uh, because the promise hadn't happened and, you know, God was speaking, but hey, what's going on here? So number three, a mark of double-mindedness is this, sarcasm in the face of the promise. Now we know that Abraham and Sarah both laughed when they were told they were going to have children in their old age. And Abraham and Sarah found the prospect of having a child absurd at their age. So funny that Abraham, it says, fell on the floor laughing hysterically. That's cynicism. And it's almost like sometimes our laughter when we don't get what what we're waiting for from God can become bitter and just have an edge to it. Later, Sarah laughed in the tents when she overheard the angel of the Lord saying the same thing in Genesis 18, 12. And, and, and then in, in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. So you imagine this guy laughing hysterically like, yeah, right. Yeah. Tell me another one, right? So this is the bitter laugh of the cynical. And I think we've all been there maybe in our hearts, right? Maybe we haven't physically done that, but maybe in our hearts we have we have said that or laughed in our hearts as to the possibility of something miraculous that God can do. And an obvious sign of double-mindedness is when we find what God promises ridiculously funny or absurd in, in, the, in the throes of our own unbelief. And it's like the equivalent of saying, yeah, and I'm the president. So James 1, 7 and 8 puts it this way, For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not accept to receive anything from the Lord. But the fourth thing that, that we find that, that is a mark of double-mindedness is this, divided interests. And the, the double-minded person literally has two agendas operating inside them, Kind of like the, the definition says, they have two souls. One soul says, I want to do this. The other soul says, I want to do that. Almost like a person who can't choose between two lovers. And John Bloom says this about divided interests. He says, divided interests are costly. And every relationship we nurture, every activity we engage, every cause we get involved with has time, energy, concentration, and often financial cost attached to it. The more divided our interests, the more diluted our lives. And isn't that true, that the more we have on our plate, or, or let me rephrase that, the more plates we have up spinning, the more our attention becomes divided, and we can give less and less to God and the things that matter in life. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The Lord's soldier's aim is to please the enlisted officer, who is Jesus, right? In, in this context, Jesus is our officer. He's the one that gives us our marching orders. So the fifth, the fifth mark of of uh, of double-mindedness is this. It's and I'll give you the a further definition that I came across of double-mindedness. It means it, that it's marked by hypocrisy. That there's something about being double-minded that that says that we're not being true to the deepest part of ourselves. Uh, this doesn't mean that that we're phony or that, you know, we're, we're trying to be fake on purpose as much as that, 
that maybe we have a problem being true to our deepest convictions because we're torn between two things. When we're double-minded, we tend to violate our own conscience and say or do things that we might be against or opposed to uh, things that maybe we once stood for. And we're living in that day with, with all these political opinions back and forth and so much division in the church at large. It's amazing how Christians serve God at all because there's so much distraction. But the sixth, the sixth mark of double-mindedness is this, fickleness fickleness. Now, the Dr. Doolittle stories have these this uh, character called the uh, the push me pull pull you. Uh, it's an animal. Uh, and the animal has has a head at either end of its body, which was constantly trying to walk in two different directions at once. And that's a perfect picture of double mindedness. Fickleness. One minute I'm, I'm passionate for this thing, but the next minute I turn around and I'm passionate for that thing. And we go back and forth and back and forth. Hence, in 1 Kings 18, this is not a new thing. Elijah saw the same thing in the heart of Israel when he said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer a word. And so, this metaphor is much more different when he says halting between two opinions. Halting is the idea of someone who has a limp in their walk. And years ago, I mean, I, I've had surgery on my knee and years ago I, I had an injury on my ankle. And so I literally had to walk around with a cane uh, and I was in my 20s and it was excruciating pain. And I literally limped. When you limp, you cannot be as efficient. You cannot run when you're limping. You can't really... Uh, lift heavy things when you're limping. And so I think it's a good metaphor that, that Elijah talks about. And this Hebrew idiom, uh, which I, I can't really pronounce it, but it means literally hobbling or hopping upon two branches. And the imagery is probably that of a bird hopping from one branch or person to the next. And so I believe that many Christians are stuck today between two opinions, right, left, government politics, you know, my idea of what Christianity is or Christian nation is, and they're stuck there and, and they've maybe forgotten what it means to, to serve God with all their hearts and to serve God out of holiness and out of passion for Him. And so somebody put it this way, the devil-minded person creates an atmosphere of spiritual and emotional instability. They are never settled in their purpose. And ultimately, they never fulfill their destiny in God. That's why whatever we're going through, we have to have one mind. We have to have a clear mind in God. But the seventh thing I want to give you, and we're going to, we're going to land this, this beast here, so is constant guilt. There's a guilt that happens when we are of two minds. When we are of two minds or two souls, we always have this haunting feeling that we haven't done the right thing, that there is no closure that there's no sense of accomplishment or growth or maturity or, or moving to a, a, another level or different season even, or transitioning. It's like knowing that you're supposed to be somewhere, but you're putting it off because you're torn between going and staying. And our double-mindedness will come back and haunt us. Think of the, the woman that Abraham sired a child with. Her name was Hagar. And the servant of Abraham 
her son ended up mocking, and her and her son ended up mocking Abraham's wife Sarah, because they were able to have have a you know, she was able to have a child, and Sarah wasn't, because in that culture, if woman if a woman couldn't have a kid, that was scandalous, and if she could, she would mock those who couldn't, kind of like Hannah and 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 Panina in in First Samuel, and so because she could conceive and Sarah could not. Both Abraham and Sarah's double-mindedness came back and bit them in the end. And this is what happens when we are double-minded. So how do you break the stalemate? I believe James has the answer in James 4, 7 and 8 when it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I could spend another half an hour just kind of talking about the scripture, but think about it. There, it begins with submission. Submit yourself to God and then resist the devil. Sometimes we try to resist the devil without submitting ourselves to God and saying, Lord, if there's anything in my life that's out of order, please get it out of there. Please cleanse me. Please restore me. Uh, and then, then says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you try to fight the devil without being submitted to God, you're going to have a problem. But also he says, draw near to God. We don't just pray to God just so that he can help us survive temptations and tests from the devil. But we draw near to God because we love him. And when we do that, we develop a relationship with God. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. You know, usually when, when we are, when we are uh, not of, of one mind, there's sin there somewhere. There's sin of, of selfishness or self-will or, or uh, you know, maybe just wanting, wanting to have my way and, and wanting to, to do what I want to do. And God is saying, that's not going to work. So be blessed today as you heard this podcast. And if you find value in it, please leave a like or subscribe and recommend it to a friend. Uh, check out soulzero2.com. Check out Buzzsprout. Uh, we, we, uh, we're on Apple also and, um, and Stitcher and Google. And also check out our YouTube channel. So until next time, thanks so much for, for being with us. God bless you.